Hi, Talia Lazarus here, and welcome back to I Got Back Up. Today I'm joined by Jonathan Goodwin. Once a fearless stunt performer and daredevil, the course of his life changed after a harrowing accident on America's Got Talent and escaping being an escapologist. Suspended 70 feet in the air and caught between two swinging cars, Jonathan was left with multiple broken bones and severe burns. However, since the accident, Jonathan's life has carved a new path. From the edge of danger to helping others a hypnotherapist, join me through the life of Jonathan Goodwin. You know, what I like to do is I like to always talk a little bit more about you know, the past and a little bit more about who, you know, who you were before everything kind of happened and, you know, what led you to where you are today. Um, so with all of that in mind, it is over to you in a sense of, you know, what, why were you, you know, what, what work were you doing over there and kind of where were you before everything? Um, well, I lived in Las Vegas. I was, uh, like I said, I was a performer. So I was, you know, I did a lot of touring. I, um, I played every state except Alaska. Um, and, um, and I didn't, although I lived in Vegas, I didn't really work there ever. It was just a, you know, I had a house there and it was where my stuff was, but, um, uh, I didn't really spend a lot of time there. Um, and, um, and that was sort of until the pandemic, uh, and that work, all of the live work just stopped almost overnight. Um, and, you know, we got like a whole, that's the thing though about creative people is that, um, you know, if, if you make your living in a creative way, then if the world changes, you should be able to still find a creative way to do something to, to make a living. So I did that. I, I, um, I created a company that made um, uh, escape online escape rooms, like virtual escape rooms. So you're watching somebody that's in a space have an experience and you have to help them, you know, uh, do whatever it might be. Uh, and so that was a lot of fun. Um, and then I was, I was one of the first performers back in Vegas. Vegas was one of the first places back. And I was in one of the first shows that came back after COVID. Um, but I wasn't doing the same show. Uh, I was, uh, it's very funny because I, like I said, I toured in a Broadway show and then the gig that I got was, um, in a high end, uh, topless dancing show in Vegas. Uh, um, I would stand in the wings and pinch myself every day. I'm like, how did I end up here? This is just crazy. Uh, and, um, uh, and what was great about it, it was, I quite enjoyed it in many ways, not for that reason, but because it was a real challenge as a performer because they were not there for me. You know, I would, I would regularly walk out on stage to booze, uh, because, you know, I, I didn't have boobs. Um, and, but then, so the challenge is to kind of get the audience on your side, which was great. And I always did. Um, but, um, that was interesting, but it made me realize actually that, you know, the, the Vegas thing, which had always been, you know, if you're a variety entertainer, if you're in that kind of, that kind of performance, then, then Vegas is sort of the, the pinnacle. That's the place that you want to, you want to be. And it's crap actually, because uh nobody's there for you unless you're maybe someone like adele or or maybe elton john nobody goes to vegas to see a show a specific show you might go and see it you go fly there to go and see adele but unless you're there then you're just they go to vegas for vegas and then they're like what show should we go and see so consequently it's never your audience and it feels like Vegas to me feels like a bunch of cruise ships that never go anywhere. Um, it's not that kind of show. And I didn't like it. You know, um, it, it, it made me realize that actually I need to set my sights in different directions. And it was about the time that I was having that thought that, that I had my accident. And in your words then, Obviously, what happened in your accident? So I was um, performing for 
I had done Britain's Got Talent and loved that experience. And then I did America's Got Talent and didn't like it as much. But I was persuaded to go and perform on, um, they were doing a spin-off of America's Got Talent, which was an extreme version. And obviously that's, that's, that's what I do. And, and the problem is, you know, if you're, if you're a, um, an extreme performer, they're very rarely going to, you know, win a mainstream sort of show because they're like, you know, those acts are like, they're a bit like Marmite. You either like being scared or you hate it. And so it's very difficult to sort of get enough people to be like, yeah, this guy should, you know, should, should win or should be, you know, in the final, whatever. So, um, an extreme version seemed like, well, you know, then I've done it's on my side. So I decided to do the show, um, against my better judgment because I had not had a great experience. Um, uh, really it was okay, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't ideal. And, um, uh, I was doing a big stunt. I created, that was the difference between what I would do and what, um, you know, uh, other performers do, do tend to do is that I would not do my act or an act that I'd been doing for years on those shows. I would create something specifically for them because they quite often, a lot of the things that I had done in my, in my past were very large scale stunts. So they knew I could do that kind of thing and they like scale in those shows. And so I was coming and doing things with cranes and, you know, lots of large scale things, which if you're a touring performer, you're not touring with a crane, you know, that's not how it works. And so they don't very often get those kinds of acts or, or stunts in those shows. And that's a box I could tick for them. So I, I created a stunt where I was hanging 30 feet in the air upside down in a straitjacket from a crane and suspended from the same place as me were two cars that were pulled back and held in position and they were laced with explosives. And my challenge was that I had to escape from the straitjacket that I was in and pull a release at my ankles and drop into an airbag before the car swung and collided and, and hit me. And everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. I did exactly what I was supposed to do, but other things occurred. And so the cars swung, hit me, exploded and then I fell but I was not um at that point I was not over the airbag anymore because I'd been hit so I fell 30 feet head first to the ground um and I had massive third degree burns from the explosion I broke both my legs really badly I uh, injured my liver destroyed one of my kidneys um I broke uh, I punctured a lung um, and broke my ribs. Uh, I broke both my shoulders and then I suffered a complete spinal injury. Um, uh, and so that was that. Then I got a free ride in a helicopter to the hospital. I like the addition of the free ride in a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously that wasn't long ago now, was it? Uh, it was October the 14th, 2021. Yeah, so that that's not long ago at all. Um, and then from that onwards, we're, mm -hmm. I mean, we're only two years away now. So from that, how you know, what was your journey from that since? Well, um, I uh, I was in hospital for about six months, mm -hmm. three different hospitals, a lot of trauma hospital care at the very beginning because. I mean, they had to like patch me up and put me back together again. And that's, you know, when you have a spinal injury and that's kind of going to be the biggest part of your recovery. Um, a lot of, a lot of my other injuries were inhibiting me beginning that journey. Um, and so a lot of that time I was in, um, hospital in Atlanta in, which is where the stunt happened for about five weeks. And then I was airlifted back to the UK and I spent another month 
in hospital in a trauma ward in an NHS hospital in Paddington. And then I went and did two and a half months of rehab hospital, which I had always considered rehab like, you know, a place you go maybe once or twice a week to kind of help you kind of do some exercises, get back to where you were. But when you have a spinal injury, as I know, you know, um, it, you, you, you can't do anything. It's like somebody waved a, a magic wand and you become an adult baby and you have to learn everything again and some things in new and wonderful ways. Um, and um, so that was a process. Um, and I mean, I can talk in detail about that if you want, or we can, we can talk about other things, but the, 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 um, it was a real eye opener to me because the thing about paralysis is that, um, it's sort of a taboo subject. People don't talk about it because they don't want to, I think, upset maybe the person that that's experienced that. But also, I think because they don't want to know, you know, it's it's um, it's an uncomfortable place to to go. But uh, in my work and in my life, I've always leaned into uncomfortable things. And so I'm I think the more we talk about, you know, the details of this stuff, the 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 easier it will be for people to understand. We can normalize it for everybody, which will make which will make matters so much better, you know. Um, so that's kind of where I am with with that. I don't know. You can ask me questions. I'll, I'll answer whatever you want to know. But I think I think it, you're right in a way of the para, para, paralysis is a very taboo subject and. Mm people don't always want to you're right they don't want to know about it they don't want to talk about it um and then that's why having someone like you today talking to you it's it is we are talking about it because it's it's sharing what's going on it's sharing the word it's sharing your story um because there are more people out there that are going through very similar things and you're right some people don't want to approach the subject with them i know and it's a shame because i think it's fascinating actually you know, I, I've never been, I'm not afraid of anything. That's, that's like my, my baseline through my career. I was, when I was a kid, I was terrified of, of, of practically everything, but now I am, I, I, I've sort of done so many different things and I've conditioned myself in such a way that I have no, no fear. And with that, with that comes the, the fact that I don't really, you know, I'm not going to get embarrassed by things. And also, you know, the nature of what happens to you when when you have um, uh, uh, this kind of injury, you have to wave a white flag with regards to like any kind of ego or 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 any of those sorts of things. I don't care. I'm happy to talk about any of it. And I think it's fascinating, you know, like the the I don't know what your uh, your level of 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 physical sensation is now and, and and what it was um because obviously we we haven't talked that much about about you know your 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 injury um but uh i it just talking about the sensation of it is quite interesting so i'm a, i'm what's called the t11 um uh complete spinal uh patient so i work from basically the waist up i'm normal uh and then from the waist down i don't work at all um it feels like uh if you've ever walked into the sea and stood in a really cold ocean uh, up to your waist for you know i don't know five minutes or so and you get that sensation of just numb uh so it's not like I have no physical sensations like that. It's not like there's nothing below my waist and I feel like I'm floating. Uh, I can feel that my legs are there. I, they just, they just are numb. They just don't, don't respond, which is an odd sensation. And that's like a permanent thing, you know? Um, I think one of the things that people don't talk about with regards to paralysis, which I think is interesting is that I have found the lack of, of physical touch 
one of the most difficult things to kind of not come to terms with but but you know in moments where i have like a little sad sad moment uh which are rare actually to be honest but in those moments it is usually about that i get i might get frustrated that i can't stand up and reach something but with regards to the the connection to emotion it's the idea of like not being able to feel the sensation of sand squishing between my toes that first time you take your shoes off when you step on a beach or paddling in the ocean or that gorgeous feeling when you step onto to to like grass uh with bare feet is fabulous isn't it and the idea of not feeling that that's kind of sad nobody really talks about that lack of 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 connection with the earth that that you have um uh when you when you lose uh the sensation specifically um and then the other stuff that people don't talk about are um and it's funny because I, I i'm now a, an ambassador for the spinal injuries association um and one of the things that that we are really trying to educate people about and 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 actually more medical professionals than the public but it's all you know it's all part of the same big conglomeration is uh to do with with bladder and bowel care um you know if i can if i can sort of go there as it were um because when you don't work from the waist down it's not just your legs you don't work everything doesn't work so um uh my if we're let's if we talk about bladder first i uh that doesn't work really for me at all so i have to um stick a foot long tube in the last place you want to put a foot long tube and it's really the only time that i'm ever glad that i don't have any sensation uh and you know that's you know six times a day i mean it's fine actually that's not a big deal and then and then the um and my bowels you know i uh sorry i can sort of hijacking your 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 lovely uh podcast to talk about toilet things but it's important actually and I'll, I'll get to the reason why that that um uh i basically that doesn't work at all and so i have to do that digitally in the original sense of the word digitally um uh and um uh the the problem that you have is that when you are a newly injured person it's a, that that's a skill you know the the idea of being able to do that to actually be able to evacuate your own bowels like that is is a skill when you're newly injured you don't know how you don't you know you don't have that skill you don't know how to do that so somebody has to do it for you so literally every day uh, a a nurse and usually somebody i'd never met before would come into my room and stick their finger up my ass and uh and that that again that's a thing that that is very very humbling you know you that you um you lose a lot of ego in those moments but and here is the problem is that on numerous occasions when i was in hospital there was no nurse or nobody qualified that knew how that knew what to do they weren't trained and that's a problem because if you you know yeah it's funny you know because obviously you start to back up in that in that way and yeah it's funny you know we all know goodwin you're full of shit um but um it can lead to very serious injuries and even in in extreme cases death and it is not too much to ask for the idea that that there is you know if you've got a spinal injured person that there is somebody in the hospital that is educated and trained to know how to take care of that person so you know it's a challenge and that's a challenge that i that i still meet regularly you know if i go and see my gp quite often it feels like i'm educating my gp about what i need and then he'll just refer me to somebody else but but it you know you have to go through that step and they just don't know you know it's not something that they come across very often despite the fact that that you know spinal injuries are incredibly common 
Um, I actually appreciate you going into that information, even though you said you were hijacking it, because like we said before, not a lot of people do talk about those kind of things. So they are extremely important. I mean, I just learned about that today as well. And I think this is the thing as well is for anybody with whatever their injury might be, uh, spinal cord or not, you do have to learn different things um, in new ways, things that you might have spent your whole life doing, you then have to learn a completely different way to Mm -hmm. do whatever it is. And when it came to having to learn new ways to do certain things, how, I mean, how was that for you? How did you take that? Well, I've spent my lifetime learning physical challenges, Mm -hmm. learning physical skills. So it was a little bit like somebody handed me a keys to a car I already knew how to drive. uh that and and i'm incredibly bloody minded and uh and determined so i got through they basically wrote me a list of everything that i needed to be able to do before i could leave hospital and um i they had predicted how long it would take how long i would be in hospital and i left about two months before they predicted that i would um uh because i was like I was just it because of all of the trauma care that I had been through. I just I was just so sick of being in hospital, um, and um, and you can't go home. You know, there's no because you wouldn't be able to look after yourself. So you have to go through those things and also get your home ready in order that that home is 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 okay for you to live in. Um, so it's a whole process. Um, but I was determined to make it as short as possible. Um, and then I, it's funny because Amanda got a job, um, filming in, um, in, she came in one, one day, she was quite, she would come and visit me every day and she came in in one day, she was quite dejected. And I asked her why, and she said, oh, I've got this really great job offer, but I can't do it because it's literally, it's when you leave hospital and, uh, and it's in Hungary, it's in Budapest. And I was like, sounds amazing, let's go to Hungary. So we did, well, I didn't go home. I uh, left hospital and went straight to Heathrow. We flew to Budapest. And so my first six weeks out of hospital, I was in I was in Budapest, which is incidentally is the least accessible city in Europe. Um, but I figured if I could make it there, it's like New York, New York, if I could make it there, I could make it anywhere. Um, and, uh, and it was fine, you know, it was, it was easy. Uh, um, and um, so that was my beginning of, of getting out of the zoo and getting released back into the wild. What do you, I mean, what do you do now then? So um, I, I do lots of things. I, I had always harbored an ambition to be a screenwriter. And so I'm doing that and I have written a few things which are with different production companies, which is very exciting. Uh, so there's a whole new world for me, but one that I'm, that I'm excited to kind of dive into. And then the other thing is I had always done hypnosis through my life. Um, uh, um, not really as a performer, although I had used it, um, in different ways. Um, but never something that had been my main focus. And I have this compulsion now in this new me, in this new sort of second life that I'm leading to help people. Um, it does feel a little bit like that. It feels like a second life. It, I could be convinced that I died and and or made it into a parallel universe or something because everything about my life changed in one moment. Um, and uh, And it's like I get to carve a completely new path um i escaped being an escape artist and um uh, but i knew I, I wanted to help people the challenges you know was, what is that and uh and then i had this epiphany that maybe maybe hypnosis could be the thing because it, it has a really bum rap people are very suspicious of it because of the way it's traditionally presented and people you know they come into contact with it in sort of you know, magic shows or, or, or hen parties and stuff like that. You know, the guy's going to make you think you're a penguin, but what, what they don't, what people don't realize is that it's, 
And it's essentially, it's a panacea for almost any of the psychological challenges that people deal with, you know, from exact anxiety, you know, IBS, um, fears, phobias, procrastination. I mean, any basically unwanted emotion, feeling or behavior that you have is something that can be resolved through hypnosis. And it's really quick. People spend thousands going to, you know, therapy week after week after week, and they can come and see, you know, someone that does what I do uh, and have it be resolved in half an hour. Um, so I love that. And my my mission really, I mean, I love helping people and doing and doing that part of it, but my mission really is to try and move the needle and change the public perception about it so that, you know, people aren't as intimidated by it and more people can get the help that they need. You're right, though, because I think a lot of people, when they think about hypnosis, they think of magic shows and they think right. of, um, you know, suddenly you're under my spell and it's it's people are kind of, ah, oh, you know, they think that someone from the crowd that's been picked that's already in on it. You're right. It's very much people don't necessarily believe it. So they don't believe it. Or they don't believe it. And they, they also... Um maybe don't like the idea of giving up control because that's how it's presented. It's presented as, as, you know, I snap my fingers and you'll do what I say. And, um, and all of that part of it is stagecraft. It's nonsense. Um, it's, they, they, they present it in that way, but hypnosis is not a thing that I do to you. It's a thing that you do to you. And I'm just showing you how. And um, it, it is really learning. That's all it is. You know, it's gussied up as this sort of mystical thing, but it's learning. And we learn two ways. You learn intentionally, you know, for something you want to learn. And then unintentionally, we learn unconscious things all the time. You know, nobody ever chose to learn a fear of spiders. Um and yet we there are people that have that and no baby was born with a fear of spiders it's literally something that we learn and hypnosis is a way that you can combine those two things so you can intentionally learn something un unconsciously um and and when i say unconscious it doesn't mean you are unconscious it's just we have a conscious mind and an un unconscious mind you know um and uh the the unconscious mind is is really it's it's the store of information all of your knowledge and memories and skills and your conscious mind is the part that gives you your worldview and uh, you know specifically it it checks any new information that you have against your uh, your experiences so if i point at the wall behind me and i tell you that it's red your conscious mind goes no it's not it's green i know what green looks like i've seen green before but if I give your conscious mind something to do, if I give it something to focus on, then when I talk to you, I'm talking to your unconscious mind and your unconscious mind by function doesn't take in new information. That's not its job. So I can tell your unconscious mind that the wall is red and it'll go, okay. And that's how it works. Um, but that shift of your conscious mind is present anytime you learn anything. If you think about when you learn something consciously, like when you learn through repetition, you concentrate on the thing that you're learning the first time you look at it, and then you concentrate the second time you look at it, and then maybe a bit less the third time, but slowly as you repeat it four, five, six times, you, it, the repetition creates a state of boredom in your conscious mind. And once you're suitably bored, then you learn it. And, and the same is true if we learn unconsciously, most of the time that happens in moments of heightened emotion and it can be any emotion, fear, you know, the love. It's why our partners and our parents are in positions of power because they can tell us things and we learn them. You know, if you walk down the street later today and someone you don't know calls you an idiot, you would dismiss that probably with a few expletives and move on with your day. But if somebody you care about says that to you, especially with a bit of repetition, goes in, you learn it. And here's the rub is you cannot consciously unlearn anything. I can't tell you to unlearn how to tie your shoes. 
where would you begin you know uh, but that shift of your conscious mind that's present present in hypnosis present in that learning through repetition it's right there in emotional learning as well think about the last time you got really angry and you're shouting and swearing and kicking the furniture you are you thinking about what you're saying and doing or is it just coming out of you you know in those moments your emotions rise up your conscious mind gets suppressed and then we're vulnerable to learn things that may not be that helpful to us but that's that's what tends to happen and that's why five minutes later we sit there and we think wow did i really just say that <laughs> right yeah mm? totally when but when it shifts back in but in everything you were saying it was interesting because that's that's like self-limiting beliefs as well. That's not something that when we were a kid, we decided, right, we're going to learn this about ourselves. So when we're older, we're going to think this. No, it was a case of, I guess, just constantly or for whatever reasons, it just happened. And then suddenly that's it. That's your self-limiting belief. We are, as children, we're sponges. We, we learn everything. And it's not just you know, your parents teach you the alphabet and numbers and how to wipe your bum or you know, whatever. But we learn everything. So if you've got a parent that's really anxious, you are likely to become an anxious person. You know, and if you've got a parent that withholds love or, or affirmation, then you're going to spend your life looking for that affirmation in other places unless you do something about it. So really, it's the kind of thing that far be it from this, this sort of backroom thing that is suspicious everybody should go through it because i think it's almost impossible to to become an adult and not have some sort of unconscious control that is going to inhibit us in late in later life we all did it you know if we all went and had hypnotherapy when we were like 20 and it was just this thing that people just accepted this is you know like 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 therapy is accepted you know or going to the dentist if it was that thing then we would all be so much better off. It's, it, you know, because it's that effective. I have a question then on that. Once people have been hypnotized, mm -hmm. do they at all, it kind of like the new life, old life, you know, past self, new self, do they have any thought or any feeling of what they went to be hypnotized for? Or is it gone completely and they just have no recollection? Oh, I, amnesia is rare, um, yeah. but you know, if if I like, let's say, I well, anxiety is a thing that I treat quite often, and, and and it's a good example because quite often, if people have severe anxiety, they live with it all the time. It's a constant feeling that they have, and I will say to somebody, you know, before a session, between one and ten, where is it now? And usually someone like that will say seven or eight, you know, um, and then after the session, I'll say, OK, try and find it. What where are we at now? Where's that anxiety? And they'll be like. It's not there. And, and I've tried to dig into that and get them to sort of explain. The, the, the what they're experiencing. And the the uh, the abiding sort of descriptor is that it's like a memory, like a fuzzy memory, of of a feeling, and obviously we have memories of thoughts rather than feelings. So that's quite a specific idea, but that's I think what happens. But it's not that they're going to forget um, mm -hmm. uh, something. Like I treated somebody recently who had been in an, abu an abusive relationship and they'd been married to somebody for a long time and and had children with that person. And, you know, they didn't want to forget the relationship. They didn't want to like, you know, because there have been good times and they had children together and it's not like they could, you know, that, that person could sort of just have a hole in their memory. Um, and so what, what we did was we just went in and just removed all of the negative emotions, all of the negative feelings related to that person. And, uh, and so that was that experience for that person. And they were elated. It was like a complete weight off because they were carrying around a lot of baggage related to, you know, resentment and anger and 
all of those sorts of nasty things that, you know, life's too short to be feeling that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, that that's that's actually extremely fascinating because um, that's what I wanted to know. Is it a feeling of do they just wake up and it's like, oh, I don't feel this anymore. This feels weird. I'm used to feeling like this or it's almost like they kind of start a new journey with the memory, but it's like a new journey. I mean, you know, the, you, the, what you do with how you feel is always your choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that uh, as far as I'm aware, the you know, the myriad different uh, people that, that, I've, that I've treated over the years, um, it is, you know, it's just gone. It's just an empty thing. You know, it's it, and 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 the thing is that people are so used to living with these kinds of things. We put up with a lot, and and then and then it's gone, and they just feel normal. You know, mm-hmm. and it and it's almost not disappointing, but it feels like the n- normality feels weird because they're just not used to experiencing that. Yeah, well, that's what you hear as well when people start to heal through their journeys and they get to better places. Their 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 mind, their body, their soul—it's not used to not feeling anxious or whatever it might be. So they mm. almost you want to like hold on to it, but it's like no, I'm I'm healing. Like let's let's let go of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's it it's scary because a lot of the time anxiety is a good example because anxiety is a protective mechanism. There is a part of you that is running a mechanism that's trying to keep you safe. And so the idea of, even at an unconscious level, the idea of letting go of something that's that's protecting you, that's scary, you know. And also the idea of, well, what's going to replace it? You know, what if I'm so used to hanging on to this thing, what happens when it's not there anymore for me to hang on to? Um and the good news about that is that that all of those are conscious worries. You know, that those are things that that um, that we worry about. You know, in our in our with our sort of conscious the conscious part of our mind, and um, it doesn't inhibit the 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 remedy because anxiety exists in your unconscious. A lot of people get confused between stress and anxiety you know stress being something that has a very obvious cause you know if you're going to have a bad day at work you know your boss is an arsehole or whatever it might be then there's a very clear line between how you know what the cause of that is and and how you feel whereas anxiety doesn't anxiety is a thing where you're like Oh my God, I feel like I've got something inside me, like a bird in my chest, or I can't, I'm panicking or whatever. And more often than not, you have no idea why it just hits you. And, um, uh, and because it's, it's coming from an unconscious place. And most of the time, that trigger, the thing that triggered that, uh, res- that response is probably something that happened to you years ago. Um, could be when you were a kid and then all of a sudden it comes back. Um, uh, and so, uh, it's not, it's not an obvious thing that you're like, oh, no, I know, I, no, I know why I'm feeling that, you know, it's, it, and it actually, it's one of the most interesting parts of my job is when I first start talking to somebody and they go, look, I'm experiencing this and, you know, I've done this enough to then, to then be able to go, okay. When did you first experience it? All right. What was your relationship with your parents like? And you go back and it, it's a little bit like playing a detective. You can work out very quickly, actually, why the thing is, what the thing is. And the difference between hypnosis and, and therapy is that that's about as much as I need to know. And if I can, if I can understand where it comes from, then we can resolve it because we can't change the past. We can't change what happened. What we can do is change the symptoms that that are caused by what happened. And so it's not really important. To, we don't have to sit and talk about, you know, the the terrible things that have happened to people. It's, you know, we we can get an acknowledgement of where it comes from. That's great. And then and then we can resolve, you know, the the negativity that comes from it. 
Well, because that's the thing, isn't it? It's when you're triggered and, you know, everyone manifests with their triggers differently. But it is something that if we really pinpoint, it's probably years and years and years ago. But not that's the thing. Not a lot of people will sit there and um, want to go back because they don't think it's something that happened years ago. They're like, no, it's something that happened yesterday. Realistically, it's something that was probably years ago. With regards to mental health then, I want to know a little bit more about kind of where yours went after the accident and kind of where it is now. Um, It's unfortunately or fortunately, you know, uh, a bit of a, a bit of a, a non answer because I really, I really haven't had um, a great deal of trauma um, or really very much at all. Uh, I, um, it was my response to finding out that I was paralyzed was okay. That was basically it. Uh, and I know that sounds sort of glib, but I, I've always been a person that lives in the moment and, um, I'm a real stoic and, um, I, you know, it, we we so often, especially now, we live outside of the now. Um, uh, you know, right right now, you could scratch your cheek, you could stand up and get up and walk out, you could do any number of things right now, but you can't do that five minutes ago, and you might not be able to do it in five minutes' time. Because uh, this is the only moment that that we live in. Now that sounds like a really obvious thing to say, but so much of our time, so many many times, you know, so much, many times, people spend their lives worrying, you know, about things that are gonna happen, or lamenting things that did happen, and both of those are, to my mind, wastes of energy because you can't change or not change the past and can't predict the future. So I I really didn't have a very big sizable shift response to what happened to me. Um I also think that's partially because losing your mobility is such a large idea that you can't you can't really wrap your head around all of the things that it means. Um, having said that, I sort of did a pretty good job. I think I haven't, you know, I haven't two years down the line gone, Oh God, I didn't think about this or, you know, or I've then had a load of, of, of sort of stuff that I'd left undealt with. So I think that, um, I really nearly died. Like I, I, I should have died really, you know, I was so lucky to survive that. Um, and, um, you know, stoicism teaches us that whilst we don't control what happens to us, we do control how we feel about it. And, you know, lying in a hospital bed, uh, you know, with all of those terrible injuries and the idea that I would never walk again, I could very easily think, oh, God, I'm so unlucky. Isn't my life terrible? Woe is me. Or I could go, holy shit, I survived. Like, I'm still here and I can still, you know, cuddle my daughter and, you know, give my fiance a kiss and sip, sip a margarita and watch the sun go down. That's amazing. Aren't I lucky? And that's just the choice I made. I think it is a choice. Um, and, um, and so to, you know, to answer your question in a very long winded way, I haven't really had a bad day. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you again said that. And I think everyone's mindsets and everyone's things are very different. And it sure. is it is it is how you look at it. It is how mm. you perceive it. it is it is how you it is how you want to work through whatever it is that's going on. So it's a it's an interesting one. And I think also with regards to that, you know, you said you escaped being an escapologist. So even though the things that you're doing now you've always actually wanted to do but kind of letting that part of you go um 
how how was that for you well i certainly had work that i wanted to do um you know i had ambitions in that area and it's obviously something that i'd spent a long time working on but you know if i really boil it down the thing that i love most is being creative and um because i wasn't a per performer that just did other people's material you know a lot of magicians there's sort of an, quite an allied thing that, that i worked with a lot of magicians over the years they would get a trick that they buy from a shop and then they would present it their way and i never did any of that i created all of the stuff that i did and that was the stuff that i loved you know i loved solving a problem um you know or having an idea and manifesting it and uh i could still do that you know mm -hmm. it, it might not be in the same way but you know it's like it's like mexican food it's just it's you know it's all the same it's just folded differently it was billy Connolly that said that <laughs> <laughs> but in a way actually it's a little bit like what you were just talking about um it's finding what we were talking about before it's like finding small things like you said you know cuddling your daughter uh, having a you know, sip of a drink watching the sunset again in a in a way it's okay if things aren't working one way what is another way that you can do it what is another way that you can fold it what is another way that can make you smile and it's following that as well and i i get it you know a lot of people have one path they have one dream they have one vision and sometimes things come and shift it completely to things they never expected but then it's like okay so what are we gonna do you mm -hmm. know if we can still do certain things then let's try other things while we can still do that as well that's my philosophy entirely you know and, and that and that comes from living in the moment but also it's about um it's funny amanda and i have this whole expression about you know you know don't hold the soap too hard because if it, you know if you're holding a wet bar of soap if you really grip it and you really whatever then it's gone you know it's going to get slip straight out of your hand whereas if it's just resting there nicely it's going to stay there forever and and i think that's the analogy because if you if you really really focus all of your happiness on something that that you know is going to happen in the future some future event or plan of your life then you know fate entropy whatever you might want to call it is probably going to step in and, and 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 screw that up and and if that's where you where your happiness lies then you're setting yourself up for a lifetime of unhappiness and disappointment um uh, you know i we went on holiday uh last year to crete and we had you know this day planned we went we went scuba diving in the morning and then we were going to go and do some different things in the afternoon and uh amanda drove the car on a, a little errand and got a flat tire and a really bad one like it was and we were in a, a a rental car and it was that was the day done and we'd like knackered the rental car which was going to take us where we needed to go for the rest of the holiday or whatever and so she came back to me distraught you know um and upset about it and my response was okay right i'll call the rental car company that looks like a really great place to go and have some lunch let's go and you know get some lunch and have margarita and watch the sunset whatever it was um and honestly that afternoon was one of the nicest afternoon afternoons of the whole holiday and and that's it isn't it it's just that you could either choose to go Oh, my day is ruined and this is just <laughs> all terrible or you could be like okay what's next you know and i think that's that's the key is is just being able to go what's next yeah i hear a lot of people say that it's finding it is what's next and kind of not grab you know not um gripping too hard on what is right here because yeah it can slip right out <laughs> so you're right you're right and then I want to ask then, what advice would you give to somebody that um, 
that might be doing that. That might be gripping too hard onto their vision, onto their goal, but way too hard. And they're not seeing other opportunities. They're not seeing other possibilities because that's what they want. And obviously things can get in the way. What would you say to them? Well, if you're doing that, then you're limiting yourself in in any in any kind of way. You know, it could be about that could be about work or it could be about personal relationships. I have a friend who is uh, very much in 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 love with this guy, um, and he is for what one reason or other sort of leaving her hanging. He's not saying no, and he's also not saying yes. And I had this conversation with her the other day. I was like, "You have to, you have to like lay it out and and either move on or or something. Like you can't sit there like that because all you're doing is you're limiting your possibilities of meeting someone who's gonna be the right person or gonna say yes immediately and sweep you off your off your feet. You know." Um, your time is the most valuable thing that you have. It is the one thing that, you know, not even Elon Musk can get any more of. And, um, and so because of that, we, how we spend it is really, really, really important, you know, and it's true. You know, if I, if I, um, if I said, look, you can, you can have, uh, a uh, hundred quid now uh or a hundred million quid um but you only get a day to spend it and then that's it for you're gone like what are you going to choose you're going to choose the hundred quid aren't you you you're not you're not going to choose a hundred million and then just a day left on earth because your time is way more valuable than a hundred million quid um and and yet we don't spend it like that. We don't spend our time like that. We spend our time, you know, looking at bloody social media pages and, and, and whatnot and not really living. Um, and, and so I think that that is the thing that I would say to somebody like that is like, how are you spending your time? Uh, and, and are you spending it in the wisest possible way? Are you limiting yourself? by just holding on to this one thing where you could, you know, the world is literally endless possibilities. And, um, you know, are you only going to tell one story or are you going to tell 10 stories? I like 10. <laughs> me too. Yeah, me too. Well, is there anything that Elsie you want to talk about today? I think I'm good, thank you. That was very lovely. It was so lovely to meet you and, and have a little chat. This was, this was really great. Yeah, it has been. It has been. Thank you so much for joining me. A real pleasure, Talia. As we wrap up today's episode, Jonathan's story serves as a powerful reminder not to be afraid to approach scary things in life. They might just be stepping stones to carving a completely new and remarkable path. So this week, think about what your fears are that might be holding you back. If you transform your fears, what sorts of opportunities would arise? Your life, your reinvention is waiting to be written. You've been assigned this mountain to show others that it can be moved. So until next time, discover the potential that lies within you. And remember, you have the power to get back up.